1: This is John O'Leary, and on every Live Inspired podcast episode, I have amazing guests join me to share their stories so that we can wake up from accidental living and more fully, more intentionally live out our stories. You're going to love today's episode. It's one of my boyhood heroes and uh, kind of a dream come true when I get a, get to introduce you to a new friend. His name is Ozzie Smith. He's a gold glove shortstop for the St. Louis Cardinals. He's a Hall of Famer. He was a childhood hero of mine. He's an impact player in the community today. But before we bring Ozzie on, let me first share with you that if you don't currently follow us online through social media, now is an awesome opportunity to jump on board and really go a little bit deeper into this inspiration if you want to learn more about our social media our facebook twitter linkedin etc go to john it's a great way to get daily inspiration on that primary site you can also view old videos you can check out the book on fire it's a number one national bestseller it's certainly worth checking out if you haven't yet seen it You can learn a little bit more about my speaking career, where we are traveling, where we're going next, and what it means to you. All of that is located, kept in one cool site, at JohnO'LearyInspires.com. As a child growing up in the Midwest, my team was the St. Louis Cardinals, and my player was Ozzie Smith. He was the best player, I think, in the 1980s for the St. Louis Cardinals. He became a not only gold glove shortstop Eventually, he'd become a Hall of Fame Major League Baseball player. I loved him growing up. Was burned, as many of you know, as a nine-year-old. Jack Buck, the great announcer for the Cardinals, made a commitment to me. Hey, kid, when you get out of here, we're going to have John O'Leary Day at the ballpark. Well, we had John O'Leary Day at the ballpark. and A a moment that I will never forget was when Jack rolled me into the Cardinals clubhouse, made a right-hand turn, and there, three lockers in, was number one. Ozzie Smith, the shortstop for the St. Louis Cardinals. We met that day. We shook hands that day. He gave me a nice hug. And over the years since, I've been able to see Ozzie a few times, but more frequently recently. And I thought, gosh, who better to have on this podcast than one of my childhood heroes, not only a great ball player, and I think there's lessons we can learn from athletes uh, around persistence and practice and dedication and character and teamwork, all all these things that apply in all areas of life. But Ozzy's great successes have also come off the field. So today we get to introduce you to this incredible ball player, this incredible man, this incredible story. What I invite you to do is to buckle up, to open up your journals, open up your hearts, Get ready for a wild ride as I introduce you to the legend, Hall of Fame shortstop, my friend, Ozzie Smith. Ozzie Smith, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary.
0: Live Inspired. That's a mouthful.
1: It is a mouthful, but I'm sitting across from a man who who models it about as successfully as anyone I've ever interviewed or considered a friend. So I'm delighted to have you in studio with us. Well,
0: John, it's a pleasure to be here, and um, uh, I'd like to start out by thanking you for being on the uh, Insider um, about three, four (laughs) weeks ago. I really appreciate you taking the time. Well, uh, it,
1: it's a pleasure and anytime you sit across from your childhood hero and you talk about baseball and Jack Buck and baseball <laughs> signed and learning how to ride again. So for, for a few of our listeners who may not follow baseball, they may not live in they St. Louis. Be,
0: they may be too young. They yes. may not know who Ozzy Smith is, <laughs> G- give us
1: a quick snapshot of who you are and what you're up to today.
0: Okay. Uh, my name is Osborne Earl Smith. The name that uh, when I got in trouble with my mom, that's, that's how she. <laughs> we'll talk that's, about how, that. <laughs> that's, how when, that's how I knew I was in trouble when she said, Osborne Earl, get in here. Um, but I was born in Mobile, Alabama. I moved from, Los Ange- from uh, uh, Mobile when I was six years old. We moved to Los Angeles, California, South Central Los Angeles, where, uh, where most of my growing up was done. Went to a little small school in Central California uh, called Cal Poly at San Luis Obispo. Um, played baseball there as a walk on actually, um, mm-hmm. uh, went to school on a partial academic scholarship and I promised my mom that I would get my education. And, uh, as I was a junior playing in a, my semi pro baseball in a little small town called Clarinda, Iowa, where I spent 1975 and 1976, little uh, kid coming out of South Central Los Angeles, going into a community, uh, such as Clarinda. um, uh, mm-hmm. I was the only African American player there. 1976, I get drafted by the Detroit Tigers. John and uh, never got drafted out of high school. Most people think that when they see guys that making in the pros that they all uh, the 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 road was the road was paved with, with gold and yes, uh, it was a gold silver lining. But for me, it was um, it was a little bit different. I had to take a different route. I played in high school with a guy by the name of Eddie Murray. And when scouts came out to see the Lock High Saints, they, didn't, they weren't coming to see a 130-pound shortstop no. <laughs> who didn't hit well, with they power. Uh, Eddie tried to tell them, but they didn't listen. But anyway, um, it all worked out in the end. And we are two, uh, the only two guys that I, think, that I, can, that I know of that have, uh, were mm-hmm. high school teammates that made it to uh, the Hall of Fame.
1: I want to talk more about baseball. I do mm-hmm. want to talk about the Hall of Fame. Yeah. I do want to talk about backflips and home runs. <laughs> mm-hmm. But you talked about the road being paved. And yours was not paved in gold and, and lined in silver. And yet you had some folks on that path with you that helped to make it possible. And I That's understand, right. and I don't know mm-hmm. the story well, Ozzy, but your mom was extraordinarily influential. Can you just talk about your mom a little bit?
0: Well, you know what? Here again, I think the people that are successful, they probably have people that are a list of people who are all preaching the same message. And the message emanates from your mom or your dad and you take it out into the world. And for us, it was my mom, I came from a broken home. Uh, they divorced when I was, I think I was 10, 12 years old. Um, and, and so the mom end, ends up raising the kids. And I had uh, four brothers and a sister and uh, she raised us all. And um, as I mentioned, I, I promised that I would get my education and and so she was really kind of the backbone of the family who made sure that we had a roof over our head, mm-hmm. uh, some food on the table. You know, people, I always hear people talk about the fact that they're poor. Well, sometimes you don't know you're poor, you know, because it, we never went without. So I never looked at it that way. And she always preached, this, she preached the message. My high school coach preached the same message and my college coach preached the same message about, only knowing that you're only going to get out of what something that what you put in. That's right. If you don't put anything in. You shouldn't expect anything in return. And and hard work and and applying yourself to be the very best that you could be every day was was really what life was all about.
1: Well, and in, in the one article I read about your mom specifically, those words were used: "Ozzie, become the best version of yourself." That's right. And I, you know, maybe I'm wrong. I can't imagine she was expecting you to go into the Hall of Fame in time in baseball no. when she's encouraging you <laughs> with this. It's hey thrive in the classroom, thrive right. in the community, become the best version of Ozzy Smith.
0: That's right. And, and that's the same message that I preach to my kids and to any young kids that I have a chance to speak to. You know, it's all about, you know, it all comes from within. You know, you've got to have that drive within you to, to be the best that you could be, whatever it is you choose to do in your life.
1: At what age, Ozzy, were you playing shortstop, hands on your knees, getting ready to get that next ground ball, thinking, you know what, I can do this.
0: You know what, uh, John, I, I never, it was always there. Yeah. You know, it was always there. There was never that, that doubt. And I think that when you, let, when you start letting doubt creep in is when, and, and we all have doubt. And, and I guess that's the real challenge to, to be able to, to kick doubt out. <laughs> and uh, whenever I started doubting myself, you know, my success, it wasn't just my success. It was my family's success. So if I was successful, I know that my family was going to be successful, so for me, there was uh, failure wasn't an option. I had to continue to no matter what I came up against, I had to continue to work hard to strive to to be the best to make it yes and and not knowing exactly what making it was, but I knew that if I was a success, then it made life better for all of us. so I was kind of. Uh, and, and it's not just my family, but I think it's families of uh, African-American who grow up in situations where their mother or their grandmother are raising them. It's not just them fighting for themselves. It's them fighting for their families.
1: Is, is that a burden to shoulder that or is it encouraging? Is it something that inspires you or is it something where you're like, "Jeez, my, it's mean, all my of mom above. is demanding it's,
0: this? It's all of the above. You know, you feel the pressures of, yeah. of, of having to provide and, and make sure that you—, you you do what you're supposed to do to allow you to continue to, to be successful because the more successful you are, the more successful your family is.
1: Speeding up the tape just a little bit, you get drafted by a team called the Detroit Tigers. <laughs> what happens yeah. there?
0: I get drafted in 1976. Now, this is the first time I've ever gotten drafted. And um, I didn't know whether or not I was ever going to get that opportunity. You know, because when you're when you're growing up and you're going out and you're playing all these youth leagues and all of that stuff, you're just hoping to get a chance, a chance. And uh, that chance never came for me out of high school. And I can remember uh, my mom telling me, she said, well, son, it's just not your time. You know, I'm complaining. I don't know why I didn't get drafted. And I was this and I was that. And she said, son, just be ready when you're uh, when the opportunity presents itself. That window of opportunity may be very small, but you've got to be ready for it when it comes. So keep yourself in a position to, uh, to, be, to be ready when that mm-hmm. call came. So in 1976, uh, I'm playing semi-pro baseball in this little small town called Clarinda, Iowa, and that opportunity presented itself. The Detroit Tigers came to me, and the same year they drafted Lou Whitaker and uh, Alan Trammell. And they said, we have a bus ticket for you to Lakeland, Florida. We're all ready to go. Here's $8,500. And so I'd finished three years of my schooling. So I'm figuring that, well, having finished three years of my schooling and promising my mom that I would get my, get my degree, um, mm. I said, if they don't give me $10,000, are they really gonna take a real good look at me? And in my infinite wisdom, I said, you know what? The promise to my mom is probably more important than this, because, wow, because if, in fact, I'm as good as I think I am, now that I'm on the board, I'll get a chance again, if this doesn't work out. Well, being the good businessman that I am, John, I signed for $5,000 and a bus ticket to Walla Walla, Washington. and. Um, That was the following year. Yes. That that was the following year. uh, I got drafted by the San Diego Padres uh, in the fourth round, and um, that was the beginning of my professional career.
1: You had that much confidence in yourself. Was it more confidence in yourself that tomorrow is going to be better, or was it the promise you made to your mom?
0: Well, it, it was, you know, the promise that I made to my mom was very, very important, you know, because I think that she stressed that, if you get a good education, that can't be taken away. And that always resonated Mm. and, um, and stuff. So I, I felt that I played well enough that I was on the board and people thought enough of me that I would get that, that opportunity again, which I did the following year when I got drafted by the San Diego Padres. Um, but at that time it was just about, it, it was about the opportunity more than, more than anything. And the fact that I was able to, to get my four years of schooling and I was, you know, I, I was yeah. able to kill two birds with one stone.
1: Tell me about the first time the Padres call you up and you get an opportunity to play at a massive stadium in front of a whole lot of folks.
0: Well, the, the, the thing that happened is that uh, you go to the Instructional League after your season is over. Um, you go to Instructional League, and Alvin Dark was the manager of the Padres at the time, and Alvin Dark had, came, had come down on... A couple occasions and um I had stood in the side there and 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 watched me feel ground balls and all that stuff and i and I saw him over there I didn't really know who he was at the time, but then after the season after uh instructional league was over, um, he came to me and and gave me uh, an invite to big league camp mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was um that was kind of surreal you know because here I'm finally getting that opportunity that, that you yearn for as a youngster, you know, of being able to say, I play professionally, not having any idea of where and how yeah. it's going gonna, it's gonna to end. Now, that first spring, he gets fired in spring training. And so now <laughs> I'm wondering, have I established myself enough that I will be able to, to, to stay on with the team? But I can remember him calling me into the office after he got fired and said, Hey, sit down. And like, like, this was like, it was nothing. I'm panicking, yes. you know, like, Oh boy, what's going to happen now? Uh, he says, Hey, these things happen. It's baseball. He said, but let me tell you something. You just continue doing what you're doing. Pick that ball up and throw it across the dump because you're going to be a great one. And you know, I, I, I remember that to the, to this day at how, um, how good that made me feel because Alvin dark in his own right was a, was a pretty good shortstop mm-hmm. in his day. And, um, I think it was the 56 giants. I think that, that won the series, because when I went into the hall of fame, I invited him and he couldn't come because they had a reunion. So, um, that was, that was very, uh, comforting knowing that somebody of his caliber thought that much of me that, uh, you know, that, that I had what it, what it would take to, to stick around in the big leagues. And, Do you remember the first
1: big league at bat,
0: Ozzie? Uh, yeah, I remember my first big league hit. You know, all of that happened yeah. so quick. And so fast, I don't know if it was my set first or second at bat, uh, but I, I, my first hit came off of Jim Barr. We were playing the San Francisco Giants. I can remember walking into the locker room for the first <laughs> time now. In spring training, I was number 32. And, you know, they hang your jerseys up. Were you number one in San Diego? I w- went, well... That only happened when I um, when I showed up that day at uh, at my locker. So you didn't ask for it. I didn't ask for number one. No, man. How about that? So it just so I I was a little guy. So you know they give number one to a little guy, and I was uh, the start starting shortstop that day in 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 Candlestick Park, man. Uh, You know I grew up in Los Angeles, of course, listening to the Dodgers and the Giants battle all the time, and now here I was. In Candlestick Park, starting for the San Diego Padres, getting my first hit against Jim Barr and having Willie McCovey hand me the baseball and say, good luck and many more. And uh, That's a moment right there. Yeah, 2,600-something uh, hits later, you know, uh, <laughs> here I am. You're uh, That's
1: a highlight, but in some regards I would imagine a low light is when you find out this team that has Brought you in, nursed you up, giving you your chance, now sees an opportunity to move you to a different team. This team in the yeah. middle of nowhere <laughs> called the St. Louis Cardinals. <laughs>
0: tell, yeah. t- tell me what that's that was, like to be a, a Padre. Well, first of all, when, you're, when you play in a place like San Diego where the weather is perfect every day, I mean, it, uh, how much better is it going to get playing-wise? You know, um, uh, 66 degrees, the most average temperature of any city in the United States. and uh, beauty, but we didn't win. And John, that's what it's all about. It's a, it's about having an opportunity to win. And so, uh, for me, when that happened, I was one of the, I was in a kind of a unique situation. I was a three or four year player who actually had a no trade clause in his contract. I guess I had a good agent, but, um, that was one of the things that kind of played into this whole thing. And it was one of the things that they did not explain to Whitey Herzog when he came to acquire me, uh, in the winter of 1981. And that was really the stumbling block more than anything else, because I had watched all these guys who had no trade clause get compensated for it. And when the Cardinals, when I heard about the trade, it came from, um, would did it come from? Uh, one of the reporters in town came me and said, called me and said, welcome to St. Louis. And I'm thinking, I haven't okayed a trade or I haven't yes. um, foregone my no trade clause. So um, anyway, that was the thing that held the deal up because I knew that my time had come to have the opportunity that I'd yearned for all my life, the opportunity to win. And John, for all of us, we always question whether or not we're as good as we think we are, and here I was, this young hotshot kid in San Diego that there had been so much hype about and everything, and now uh, because of contract negotiations, they they didn't want me anymore. So now, you know, I've got to ask myself, you know, are you as good as you think you are? Because now, when you go to an organization such as the St. Louis Cardinals, that is rich in tradition, you're going to be, your wares are going to be on display every day. And so can you continue to be as consistent mm-hmm. as you've been here? And um, the stakes are a lot, lot higher, you know. So, and not only that, I was getting traded for a player who was a true 5 5'2 player, Gary Templeton was probably most, one of the most talented players to ever don a pair of spikes. You know, he could run like a deer. Mm-hmm. He had a great arm. He had power. Uh, he was a switch. I mean, you, he had it, it all. He had great range and just just very, very talented player. You know, so you had to battle uh, what people were going to say about who, who's going to get the better end of a deal and, and stuff. And coming, I, you, you hear all the whispers about. Well, moving from grass to astroturf, he's not going to be able to cover as much ground. You know, all the experts, the people that haven't done it. Yes, you know, the experts, <laughs> they they're they're saying these things. So, uh, when I finally get to um, to St. Louis, um, let's back up a little bit. The thing that that allowed the deal to happen was that once Whitey found out that I did have a no trade clause, he had to try and figure out how we were going to work around that. So we were able to work around that by him telling me, he says, look, here's the deal. If you come to St. Louis and you play and you don't like it, you can become a free agent at the end of the year. Well, that was kind of a win-win for me because I was going to be making more money and I was coming to an organization who truly had a chance to win. I was coming to an organization where a manager actually got on a plane and came seeking me out. Mm -hmm. So you know, I, I felt a, 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 um, a real responsibility to, to elevate my game and become better than I was in, in San Diego. And Hawaii and the Cardinals afforded me that opportunity. Um, I was eager to, to grow and get better from an offensive standpoint. Um, I didn't hit with power, but I felt that I did all the little things that you have to do when you're a little guy, that you have to, you know, that's stressed a lot more. You know, being able to get the runner over, being able to bunt, all of the little things that it takes for a team to win consistently. I think I did those things. Um, learning to keep the ball out of the air and utilize my my I heard speed. About that. Yeah, you uh, and Whitey we, had a little you know, bet going a little on. Bet. We had a bet where when I came over, he told me he says, "Here, uh, I want you to be able to utilize your speed, so keep the ball out of the air." And he gave me Chuck Hiller and and Dave Ricketts to work on how to stay on top of the ball and keep the ball out of the air. And uh, it's amazing at how an incentive like that uh, you learn very quickly, John, at how to, how to keep the ball out of the air and stay on top of it. And, and once I learned those basics, the rest of it became very simple because I had good hand and eye coordination. And there was no reason that I could not become as, as good an offensive player as I was a defensive player. And even if I became half, the offensive player that I was a defensive player, that was going to be pretty good. But I wanted much more than that because I knew I knew myself and I knew I could be much better than, than I was if given the opportunity.
1: Well, you were, and are, I think, the greatest defensive shortstop in the history of the game, which is high praise. What's quietly true, though, is you became outstanding offensively. And, and one of the highlights... The bridge that kind of connects Ozzie Smith to John O'Leary and into this podcast was a mutual friend named Jack Buck.
0: Yes, sir. Take us back to
1: 1985 and a a home run batting (laughs) left-handed against the Dodgers. Smith, corks one into right, down the line. It may go. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. It's a home run, and the
0: Cardinals have won. He was a great announcer and he was a voice of this, this organization and he was a voice of sports yes. Wow, you know, because he did it all. He did football, did golf and all of that stuff and a very unique style and, and uh, very knowledgeable about it all. But even greater than that, he was a greater person. And I think you can speak to that probably more than anybody else at, at how big his heart was. And I think that that's probably more important than uh, all of the people that listened to or went to sleep to, to Jack's voice every night. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a great citizen, he was a great husband, and, 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 and just, just a great human being. And um, in 1985, I think, it, to have him at the mic on that play, which he thought he missed, you know, uh, you probably heard the story that he thought he missed the call and he was worried about whether or not he missed a call. But that's the uniqueness of people like Jack Buck. They say the right thing at the right time. Yes. Um, hey, for instance, if, if you're struggling, you know, you're, you're, you're in a slump. You know, I can remember a time when I was struggling a little bit and, you know, Jack would always come out you know, during batting practice and tape the show uh, before the game. He yes. says, can I have two minutes of your time? Yes. You know? um, when you're struggling like that, um, he didn't want to interfere with, w- with your time, but he'd walk right by and he goes, keep your chin up. <laughs> yes. You know, just little, little things encouragement. like little encouragement, you know, keep your chin up. And that was always very, very special to me. And, uh, you know, there were many, Christmases that we spent over, you know, you stop by the, jet, the Buck's house and there's, uh, you know, I don't know how they did it, but all day long, he does it all year. And then at Christmas time, you know, all of these, he's, all his friends come by at some point in time and he's behind the mic, you yes. know, uh, singing. And, and he was just, a, just, he's loved by everybody in this city. It was just, and um, still in love with him, you know, that any time that you see a picture, you, you hear his voice. You know, it, it takes you back.
1: Azi, you played 19 seasons? 19, yes. 12 gold gloves?
0: 13.
1: 13 gold. Yeah. Lucky 13 don't came cheat. along. Don't, don't cheat me now. 2,500 plus hits. Mm-hmm. Uh, with all of that, what, for you personally, what, what is the highlight of that career, man? Two decades span, a couple cities.
0: Well, you know, first of all, you know, having an opportunity to play that mall. You know, uh, Major League Baseball, I had no idea when I came in how long I was going to play. I think, you know, my goal was to play, be able to play beyond 40. You know, if I could play beyond 40, then uh, I would have accomplished something, you know, just hanging around that That's long. Crazy. Yeah. You know, it's crazy. But, you know, I kept myself in a position to where I, I could have played. I did play until I was 41. I think I could have played probably two or three more years, not... You know, not, uh, not every day, but um, play well enough to be able to help, help a team in some shape, form, or fashion. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, to have the opportunity to play uh, this great game for as long as I did was a real blessing. And uh, people ask me, what what my greatest accomplishment? My greatest accomplishment was probably playing from 1985 to 1996, in nineteen eighty five, just before the All-Star break, I dove back in the first base and started some impingement in my shoulder, which eventually turned into a torn rotator cuff. And John, I don't know if if you or any of your listeners have ever had to deal with torn well, you've had to deal with a lot more than a torn rotator cuff, but as a as a baseball player, yeah, can't imagine. it's it's tough to, to, to be able to go out there every day. It was tough turning the dial on the radio. It was tough opening a door. It was tough knowing that I only had one long throw in me a day. And you, 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 you got to be, you know, you got to get yourself in a position that hopefully the game is not on the line when that happens. Right. And you'd be amazed at what the body does instinctively when, when, you're, when, when, when you're injured Something else, the, another instinct is, is highlighted when those things happen, as I'm sure you probably mm-hmm. are well aware of. So for me, the other things, the, the other instinctive things kicked in, um, you know, the learning to be able to round the ball a little bit better, to, to be able to use your body more. These are things that I had to do. Um, and I was able to do that at a, a relatively high level. You know, I was still able to win gold gloves after 1985 with a torn rotator cuff. And people say, well, how, how'd you do it? Well, I couldn't, I couldn't get, the, get up over my head. So I became I very efficient right. coming from down here. You could function from down mm-hmm. throwing sideways and you learning to use the AstroTurf. I stole a, a page out of Davey Concepcion's book at Bouncing the Ball on the Turf and all of those little things that you learn to do, that, uh, that you, the experience that you gain through having been around for 19 years and, um, and stuff, it, it made the game fun. Um, when you go out there every day, as we go out there every day, people don't want to hear about the labor pains. They don't want to hear about the fact that we got, you got trouble at home or whatever. They want to be entertained. You know, so I had to find a way as a Major League Baseball player to play around injuries. And I tell people all the time that winning is much more than getting a base hit or or uh, making a great play. Winning is being able to help your team psychologically. My being there sometimes at 80 to 85 percent is going to mean more to the team That's right. than somebody else at 100 percent. Because, I'm, you know, I, you, you, you give that pitcher the, the confidence that, hey, you're you're there. And, and so those are part of the, the lessons that you learn as you go through this, this grueling schedule of 162 games every year. And uh, so, so I say that to say that my greatest accomplishment was playing from 1985 to 1996 with that torn rotator cuff and still being able to play at the level that I played. Amazing. Yeah.
1: Ozzy, 162 days sounds like a blast. You know, playing baseball, I can't even believe you get paid for this. Oh, yeah, yeah. Until folks realize you're showing up five hours before the game and you're eating completely differently and resting completely differently and you're away from your family, your spouse, your babies all the time. Yeah. What's that like being on the road much more than you are at home?
0: It's tough. And I, I think the percentages show that um, it takes its toll on. Um, on the family because I think there's a statistics that says that anywhere from three to four years after a guy re- retires gets a divorce, How about that? you know? So, um, I'm, I'm one of a, you know, a lot of guys who've had, had, have experienced the same thing. You, you just grow apart. And, and so it does take its toll. Now it can be great while it, while it's going on, mm-hmm. while it's happening, but, um, there are a lot of things that you lose out on. You you you, you miss birthdays. You miss bar mitzvahs. You you miss all of the, mm-hmm. the little things that are very very important. That's why your mate becomes such an important part of your life. You know because she's usually the one that's, that's raising the kids and instilling that um, those values yes. in those kids. You know so it's very very important when you. Well, when you pick your mate, that you pick somebody who has all of those great qualities. Well, I think this is true not only for a Hall of Fame shortstop, <laughs> but I might whisper for all of us.
1: I think there's a lot of wisdom in what you're saying for yeah, all of us. For all of us. The uh, the grind of not only being on the field, but being off the field. When you are the brightest star in just about any restaurant, bar, room, wedding reception, birthday party, Target, Walmart. <laughs> Ozzie, anywhere you go, whether it's while you were playing or now... Gosh, two decades after you finish playing, you, people, you're, you're known. Yeah. How do you have a heart that's grateful for it, but not one that's, oh, gosh, again,
0: you know, well, you, you, you can't know, go anywhere I, by yourself. Here again, I think it's, it, it's that when you have to really worry about it is when they don't do it. You know, that means that, hey, you know, your, your time is up and, and maybe you didn't do enough to, to have an impact on, on people's lives. I think it's an honor when people Hmm. come up to you and they remind you, I still to this day, and I've been out now longer than I played, still have people come up to me now and thank me for some of the best times of their lives. Yes. You know, and what a blessing that is to be able to be in a business where you create memories that last a lifetime. And so I've always looked at myself as being one of the very fortunate, very lucky ones, very blessed ones to have had the opportunity to do what i love to do and touch people's lives sometimes just by saying hi yes no doubt just by being able to say hi to someone and uh, uh you know i don't take that for granted
1: what's uh, so unusual and ironic and beautiful is i have four children three boys everybody loves baseball everybody mm-hmm. loves the cardinals mm-hmm. And my second-born, Patrick, in particularly loves a guy named Ozzie Smith, number one <laughs> shortstop who retired what, six years before he was born. So he asked me to pass along a few questions to you. Okay. And, you know, we, we took All a little right. walk last night, and he, I told him, guess who I get to meet tomorrow? So he was thrilled. Number one, he wanted to know if you still like playing baseball.
0: Not as much as I like playing golf. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about golf here in a moment.
1: Secondly, he wanted to know if you wear your World Series ring ever.
0: Uh, sometimes. You know what I did with my, the ring that we won in 1982 is I, I gave um, each one of my kids a ring. My oldest son uh, has my World Series ring um, that he wears. Uh, our playoff ring from 1987 I gave to my, uh, my, my, my second son. And uh, my daughter got the little 87 ring that they gave to the, the wives and girlfriends. So. Each one of them have, um, you know, um, the the years that were very, very important where, you know, I excelled. 1987 was my best offensive year. 1985 became the year where people were aware or looked at me as much more than just a defensive player. Mm Mm-hmm thanks to the call and, and, uh, that one. And then of course we, we were able to win it all in 1982. So those are some very, um, important times in my life and, and stuff. So I'm able to share those with, with my kids. That's
1: awesome. Yeah. Two more questions from, uh, interviewer Patrick, okay. the nine-year-old at home. He wanted to know who your favorite teammate was.
0: My favorite teammate without a doubt was Willie McGee. We both came over to the Cardinals in the winter of uh, 1981 and we got to know each other and, uh, Willie didn't break camp with us um, when we came north. David Green got hurt. Willie McGee came up. Uh, my wife and I had a um, had a, a big house that we were living in, so Willie came and stayed with me. We didn't know how long he was going to be there, and it's only supposed to be there for a short period of time. And Willie being the, um, the guy that he is two years later, he was still there mooching off of us, you know. <laughs> He's a moocher. No, no, Willie. Uh, Willie by far is my uh, my closest friend that I had in the game of baseball, and uh, we shared a lot of a lot of joyous moments mm-hmm. and a lot of hard times too. You know, because when we when you don't win, you know, there are those those moments that you that you that you need somebody to share it with, and sometimes you know the wife or the girlfriend are just not the one. You need somebody who truly understands and, and and gets it, and is it's, um, it's nice to have somebody who you know you've been in war with who really, really understands the feeling of, the, of emptiness mm-hmm. or the feeling of, of um, disappointment. Yes. And we had, a, we had a lot of those too.
1: And in life. Yes. right On, the, on, on right. and off the field. I think it's something that hits us all. Final question from Patrick. Then I want to hear what you're doing today. Then okay. we'll finish with the seven questions. Okay. Final question from Patrick is, what would you tell a young shortstop in training? So he, he views himself as the next Cardinal great, uh, this pudgy little kid in my backyard. Okay, well, what, what would you tell him and his friends that they just want to have fun playing ball? What would you tell them you gotta about enjoy
0: the game? It. First of all, you've got to enjoy it. And if it's something that you enjoy, it shouldn't be something that your parents have to tell you to go out and work on. You know, it has to come from deep within. Uh, you have to take a lot of pride in And if it's sport, whatever it is, it's not just sport, whatever Mm -hmm. it is you choose to do in your life, you got to work hard to, to, to do it to the best of your ability. Yes. That was the one thing that was stressed to me as a young kid, starting with my mom, to my high school coach, to my college coach, to my professional coaches. And if you, if you take that approach that, you know, I'm going to be, if I'm a sanitation engineer, I'm going to be the best sanitation engineer that I can be then you'll get the most out of life. I tell kids all the time that money can't be the driving force. If money is the driving force, you never get the most out of it.
1: Good advice. Ozzy, you are advising that not only on the O'Leary podcast, but you you live that in our community. Tell the folks who may not know about your efforts what you're up to today.
0: Well, you know, growing up in South Central Los Angeles, um, as I mentioned earlier, you know, golf is one of those things that when you retire, um, there's a competitive void in your life. And I think for most of us that have competed 10, 15 years in something, once that's gone away, you look for that other thing that can fill that void. And for most of us, golf fills that void because you're battling yourself, you're pal- battling the course and the people that you're playing against. So mm-hmm. you can fill that void, which is part of the reason I don't have to play baseball <laughs> anymore. I um, don't have to deal with the stress and strain of that. But... Um, that that's the one thing that has really, really, um, been a big part of my life since I retired. So what I wanted to do was give kids, um, in the inner city, the opportunity or the exposure, not only to just, um, just a game of golf, but the business of golf as well. Now we use golf as a hook and that's what all, that's the only thing that people hear sometimes, but it's really about education. Mm-hmm. It's about keeping kids in school. Um, you know, an idle mind is the workshop of the devil. And it's that idle time is where kids get in trouble. And so I'm currently working uh, with the PGA. Uh, we have a program called PGA Reach, which they have adopted nationally now. And it's reaching beyond the championship of 2018, which the 100-year championship is here at mm-hmm. Belle Reeve, And the PGA w- wanted us to come up with a program that would be here long after the championship has come and gone. That's what I'm working on now. I have a, a, a clinic here called the, uh, the Ozzy Smith IMAC Regeneration Center. A few years ago, I met a guy, a chiropractor from um, Paducah, Kentucky, where we used to take cardinal caravans. And uh, we, 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 get, we started talking, and they started talking about PRP, which where you take the blood, you spin it, you shoot it back into an area. It separates and you sit, shoot it back into the area affected area. And, of course, with my rotator cuff, I had gotten uh, some surgery but still had stiffness and stuff in there. So uh, they told me to come down to Paducah, that they would you know, do the PRP and so I could see the facilities. And there are a lot of people that go from St. Louis down there doing PRP and stem cell. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I went down and got my PRP and my shoulder started feeling much better because... Um I didn't get my rotator cuff done un- until you know uh, it started affecting my golf game. <laughs> right. <Priorities laughs> that's how first. Yes, yes. priorities. Um and um went down and, g- and had that taken care of and uh, it worked so well that they asked me that if they opened a facility here in St. Louis would I be interested in partnering with them, which I did. And now we've been open 2 years and uh, just opened a second uh satellite clinic out in St. Peters and that's going well uh and it gives me the opportunity. I, I, I like this so much. A lot of times you never know exactly what the next phase of your life yes. is going to consist of. But it's given me the opportunity to have my friends. Whitey Herzog being one of them. Um, Mary Lou, his wife. Uh, Willie's been. All my guys. People that, that can't have surgeries for whatever reasons. It gives them an alternative. And... You know, PRP and the needle, if you're scared of needles, you know, like I am, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> that, that can be bothersome. But it, uh, it's, it's a much less painful and an evasive way of of taking care of a, of a problem and, uh, and stuff. So it's great to be able to uh, refer my friends. I was there yes, the day before yesterday, and Jim Hannafin was there on the table, you know. So it's being able to, to give my friends something that is going to help them um, improve their lives
1: well man you've been giving your friends something to help them improve their lives since you started playing baseball as a kid and and now now i'm glad you're doing it professionally but i've been on the receiving side of your goodness and i'm grateful for this time ozzy at the end of every live inspired podcast we ask seven questions of our guests so you you are following in the steps of giants who've come before you but i have a feeling you can flip right over this and do a phenomenal job (laughs) okay question number one begins with Ozzie Smith, what is the best book you've ever read?
0: Um, you know one of the first books uh Charlotte's Web. You know, that was one of the the first books that I ever read that um that I really really enjoyed yes. reading because that wasn't that, you know, that wasn't the the the, the one thing that did really drove me. Um but that was you know, that was the first book when I talked to kids, you know, they, they especially young kids that 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 don't like reading, you know, I see, you know, w- one of the books that turned me around was Charlotte's web. Yeah.
1: Tomorrow, Ozzie Smith, you discover that your wealthy uncle has shockingly died at 103, leaving you, my friend with millions. What would you do with this newfound wealth?
0: Uh, well, you know, with the project that I'm doing, I'd probably use, <laughs> use some of it to, <laughs> to get kickstart, that, right. to kickstart that and get it, uh, get that going. But, mm. uh, you know, here again, it's finding ways to help people who are less fortunate, John, because there's, there's so much that can be done um, to help people. Because I think most, most people at this stage of their lives just want to be able to put food on the table and a roof over their heads. And, you know, things like uh, uh, how, how, Houses for Humanities, um, That's, you know, those projects like Mm. that are very, very important. It's a very, very worthy causes and, and things like that. Something like that would, would, would be what I'd be interested in.
1: Speaking of homes, if your home caught fire and all living things, your animals, your children, Mm. your friends, everybody's out and you have an opportunity to run in and grab one thing safely, what's that one thing that you would race back in and and, uh, salvage?
0: one thing that I'd race back in, um, well, it probably couldn't be too big. <laughs> You're a strong guy. Ozzy. It could be strong, as big but, as you'd like, man. Um, I don't know. I, I, I guess, you know, one of, the, one of the things that I guess that kind of sums up my life and my career is that Rawlings gave me a, a trophy that has each year that I want to go glove. Now, I've sold my other collection, but there's this one that has all of the, the years that I want on there. That would be the one thing that I would I, I would grab because, you know, for my grandkids, mm. it would be able to, it's the one thing that they could look at and uh, we could refer to that, hey, you know, when people, when you're trying to explain to your friends, you know, who your grandpa was. Yeah, you know, let me show you something. Let me show you something, you know, <laughs> right. so... That would probably be the one thing if I had to go back in.
1: Well, with that trophy in hand, if you could sit on a bench overlooking a beach on a gorgeous San Diego type day, just okay. gorgeous
0: day. All right. I'm, and vis- have a I'm long, visualizing here. Yeah, now.
1: man, it's, I'm, I'm there with you. <laughs> and have a long conversation with anyone, living or dead. Who would you want to be seated next to and just spend the day
0: with? Well, that's a great question. Um, I had the good fortune one time to sit and watch a fight with Muhammad Ali. That was, you know, that was, that was a real highlight and real treat. Jesus Christ, you know, to be able to, to, right. to, 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 to sit and, and um and have a conversation.
1: What would be your first question of Jesus?
0: It would be, What, why are we where we are? What happened? What, you know, I know that you meant for it to be a certain way, but where did it go wrong?
1: Mm-hmm. Interesting question. I bet the answer would amaze us because I, I, I think there is an answer to that, and I think we're part of the answer, actually. The solution, it's in the room, it's on the bench already seated there. Mm-hmm. Ozzy, what's the best advice that you've ever received?
0: Um, the best advice is what we've been talking about. Be the best you you can be. That's probably as, as simple as it gets. You know, mm-hmm. Be the very best that you can be. And, uh, and if you adhere to that, Good things happen
1: What would you tell your twenty year old self
0: What would I tell my twenty year old self if you could
1: self? whisper some encouragement advice back into your uh, your life a few years ago your age twenty
0: what would you tell yourself um, get involved in the tech world <laughs> 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 be be more technical. i'm technologically challenged you know so um if I knew then what, what I know now, um, be, to be able to start up a, a tech company or, or you know, work out of Silicon Valley, that would that would be pretty cool because it would give you the entree to do so much more for the world. Yeah. and uh, you know, you look at Google and all of this, oh, all of this stuff and what you could be able to do. Boy, I mean, you could do a, a lot of good. Transformative. Yes. The seventh
1: and final question, Ozzy Smith. It has been said that all great shortstops and Hall of Famers and ballplayers and men and women can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like that one sentence for you to read?
0: I don't know if we can put it in one sentence, but. It can be
1: a run on. Yeah. A lot of commas. Uh,
0: you know, to, to have people, we talked about this a little bit. To have people come up to you and say that you were such a, an important part of their lives because watching me play baseball with their grandfather, uh, their, their mother, or some family member, that this is what we did. Mm-hmm. or uh, There are people that come to me and say, you know, you were my grandmother's favorite player. My grandfather's favorite player we spent a lot of time we'd go to the ball game together and boy we enjoyed watching you play and you brought us so much enjoyment I mean it doesn't great get any greater than that John and uh, and playing 19 years here in this great city uh, I know there are a lot of people to feel like you know I know him personally yeah. and and when they come to me they it's as if they've known me for all their lives and so Cardinal baseball is a part of the fabric of everybody's lives here in this city, and um, I take a lot of pride in that. Uh, I take pride in the fact that I wore birds on the bat. There's uh, no other uniform like it, and it's the, uh, it's the, the greatest place in the world.
1: Lossie, you're the greatest shortstop in the world. You uh, not only were my dad's favorite to date you a little bit, you're also my son's favorite, <laughs> which is so terrific. <laughs> yeah. And you're his dad's favorite, so you're mine as well. Man, it has been such a pleasure, such a joy to spend some time with you today on the Live Inspired podcast.
0: Well, thank you for having me.
1: My friends, that was Ozzie Smith, the great shortstop, the great man. This is John O'Leary, and today is your day, Live Inspired. One of the things that always leaps off interviews when I get to spend a little bit of time with Ozzie Smith is his humility. I mean, th- th- this is a guy who was extraordinarily successful. He's one of the top 50 baseball players of all time, and yet th- th- there's no bragging. There's there's no humble brags. Even he just kind of quietly, very innocently shares the journey forward. What got him there? The individuals who coached him up, inspired him to continue on. What he learned from it, and what he's doing with it today. It's a great example for the rest of us to not only learn from, but to model in our own walks, regardless of how much success or lack thereof steps into it. That, that humility is a characteristic that I think we all would benefit from. Uh, another lesson that I learned from Ozzie in that interview is this notion that people are looking up at us. They're watching. And when they have an opportunity to come up and say hi, this might be their, their only interaction with him and with us ever. So to give them an example that is worthy. My friends, this is true for a Hall of Fame shortstop, but it's also true in all of our lives. The interactions we have with those around us in the marketplace of life matter. Take a page out of Ozzy Smith's playbook and make sure you leave them better after they walk away from you than before they walk toward you. Great lesson, Ozzy. Thank you for it. If you enjoyed this podcast as much as I enjoyed sharing it with you, you know what to do. Go ahead and share it on social media. Share it on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, anywhere else you're, you're sharing your life story. Tell your friends about it. Let them know that in the marketplace of negativity where there's a whole lot of negative news, there is a different side to it. It's the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. It's worth checking out. So tell your friends that you work with, you play with, you worship with, you shop with, you walk with, you hang with about the Live Inspired Podcast. Uh, if you enjoy it, I know they will too. My friends, I just want to thank you for being part of our community. Thank you for believing. Thank you for fighting. And thank you for knowing that the best is yet to come. So for this time and until next time, this is John O'Leary. And today is your day. Live inspired.